Okay. This is in real life. Just pretend. Okay, one, is two. This the real life? One, <laughs> two, three. Into the mic, Graham. I'm talking into the mic now. Can you still hear me? Yeah. Good. We're started. <laughs> Hello everybody. Clear enough. Is that okay? Talking that's, like that. Talk, that talk about that. That's daily because it's a look of Phil. It's a look of Phil when I'm talking. Phil, I'm talking to you. That's daily because we haven't got our guy players tonight. So we have John. Hello. Phil. Graham has form. And we have, as I said, daily. Oh, and me, Graham. Hello. Hello. Uh, Phil, before we get started, you may as well do your trick and tell the people about charges. Yeah, just picture the scene, lads. Right, Jim the Tent and Nolan Park. The Wexford Hurlers are facing Kilkenny in the Leinster Championship. The Wexford manager David Fitzgerald is facing or is serving an eight-week ban for invading the pitch during the league semi-finals and can have no contact with his team. It's no problem for Davy. He has his phone ready to fire off a few texts to his backroom team both in the stand. But in all the excitement of the match day, Davy's forgotten to charge his phone and his battery is dangerously close to dying. But that's where Charity steps in. These recyclable and portable chargers will give your phone as much as 70% power from its one charge. That'll leave Davy plenty of power to send off his texts, patrol up a nail Instagram story, and send a few abusive tweets about Brian Cody. If you want to find any more out about charities, just go to charities.e and don't forget to tell them that the hurlers in the ditch sent you. Bravo, Phil, bravo. Yeah, I like that, but can we just be real for a second? There's no way Davy Fitzgerald has anything more than a Nokia 3310 that he has had for the last 15 years, at least. Right, uh, we'll finish today with the Lions because the Lions was the big announcement today. And... Um, we are going to start with, because it's Champions League, we were supposed to record this yesterday, but we're recording it now, and I just want to say, you'll probably you definitely hate me for this, because I'm going to start off with Leicester lost, well they drew last night in the Champions League, which means they're now out of the Champions League, having lost 2-1 in aggregate to Atletico Madrid, and I for one am delighted that the fairy tale is now over. It's gone on for too long, Leicester need to go back where they belong. Back to their little houses. And I'm just so glad that it's over. No more. Oh, maybe we can win it. No. Just stay mid-table. You'll be fine. John, you're not going to agree with that, are you? No. If Ranieri was still there, I'd agree with it. But Ranieri being sacked kind of spoiled the whole fairy tale for most neutrals, I think. Just the way he was treated in general. It really sent a sour note through the otherwise fairy tale of last year. Like I, wasn't, I wasn't unhappy to see them get knocked out, to be honest. I think... The way their fans behaved last week as well, it kind of reminds us of just, uh, just another English club, you know, they're pretty easy to hate if you try and hate them. <laughs> you can find a reason, if if you can't find a reason, they'll give you a reason. Yeah, you can find a quite a few reasons, even like last season, and um, like it was it was a wonderful story, and for someone like Ranieri, and for uh, Morgan, Captain, and uh, Drinkwater, and Andy King, those sorts of people, but like there are some pretty easy to hate characters in that team. Like you see, the like, mask of anger that slips across Vardy's face any time the decision doesn't go his way and last season was it West Ham they were playing and he started roaring in the official's face that's when he got sent off yeah he got three match ban for it he called um, him a C word I think didn't he yeah. yeah see you next Tuesday look we're actually self-policing now I'm really proud of us that's well done um, and like he has you know things 
off the pitch that you know are well documented aren't very nice and so does Danny Simpson he has a past of um, alleged domestic abuse so there are things both within the playing group and then of course as John was saying the behaviour of Brexit on tour last week Brexit on tour uh, well don't, don't you know that it's very important that uh, the Spanish people in Madrid were made aware of the 10 German bombers that the RAF from Britain shot down oh yeah that's, that's important Um. Yeah, it's. I think you're right about just the way this season has went, sort of kills a fairy tale for Leicester, actually. Because of. I think. I don't think there's been more outcry when a manager got sacked in a long time than when Ranieri got sacked. And, like, Craig Shakespeare has done a very, very, very good job with that Leicester team. Like, it actually looked for a while yesterday like that they could have turned Atletico over. But I think people are just sort of. They're not over it yet. So, I mean, like. Le- Ranieri was like sort of the granddad for the league or something like that like he was everyone could sort of relate to him in some sort of way and now they turfed him out on his ear and fair enough they're like they're pretty much guaranteed Premier League survival now that he's turned them around but I think it's still too raw for people and like maybe Leicester just they lost a lot of the neutral support sort of thing I think the problem with it is how it it sort of feels like an inside job because Shakespeare was there it was shaky and walchy were Nigel Pearson's assistants, and Steve Walsh has since gone on to Everton. Uh, he's the fellow who was credited with scouting all these, like uh, likes Mangala Kante, and he moved on to Everton. But Shaky was always there. He was the one that the players apparently preferred, and so it nearly feels like an inside job that Ranieri got shafted by somebody who was supposed to be working for him. Yeah. So kind of like you said, it kind of leaves a sour taste. Just on a slightly uh, tangential note. Is it just me, or does Craig Shakespeare look like he could be an under-21 football manager? Yeah, he really does. He really does. Because he loves the tracksuit. Yeah, Absolutely loves the (coughs) tracksuit. Like, you could see him on a Wednesday night in Port Leash, born on Longford. What really put me off last night was Simeone hadn't got the hair slicked back. He just had it normal, like, a la John. And just, it just looked like he'd nearly given up for a second. But, just speaking of Simeone, it was weird, I think, the way, I don't know if you saw his yoke in Marsa, or La Marsa, whatever it's called, the Madrid newspaper. La Marca, great. La Marca, whatever. I'm not Spanish. Um, John got an A1 in Spanish. In the did league. you actually get an A1? Yeah. No, you did. Yeah. Yeah, you did. Donald's the God, yeah. Jonas the God. Hey. <laughs> um, but he said that, I like, I kind of agree with it, but I found it weird that he called it out before their away leg. He said, how can it make sense that a team, the away team can go in the second leg and won't, if it's level going to extra time in the last 30 minutes of the match, they can score a goal that's worth two and completely like it sort of ruins the match sort of thing like do you think just the way the teams are going these days where like when you get to this stage they are so evenly matched and like we saw Barcelona absolutely turning over uh, PSG there a few weeks ago do you think the away goals rule is on its way out or is it outdated or what you reckon there Uh, I think it's I don't think getting rid of the away goals rule is going to improve the standard of football. You're going to see a lot of away teams just defending for their lives then and trying to scrape back with a draw. At least now it does encourage the away team to go out and maybe try and nick an away goal if they can. Uh, you, st- you still obviously still do see the away team. The majority of them will just sit back and try and take it back to their stadium or if they're at home, they'll try and get a lead and then sit back in the second leg. Uh, I see your point. Definitely a fair point. Like You see teams scoring away goals in the last minute or else in, in uh, extra time. Like... Maybe there's a case you made for if a match was an extra time, it's almost like a yeah, like cut it off a third kind time. of neutral leg almost, yeah. 
But then again, then you've the t- home team is a big advantage because they're obviously in front of their home fans. But that's especially important when people are getting more fatigued as well. Home advantage could be a big, a big deal then. I think there's more positives than negatives to bin. I think binning is a good idea. I think the positives outweigh the negatives because for as much drama as away goals can add, it's ruined so many like perfectly poised ties. Perfectly poised ties. Pretty hard to say. Isn't it, it is really <laughs> is. Um, it like <clears throat> that sort of example where the team scores in extra time and it's game over. Whereas, it, and it kind of kills the drama of it. I think there's too many ties where it's ruined by away goals effectively ending it when, like, when you get to, like we've said, this end of the Champions League and teams are so well balanced and so evenly matched. Like you saw Bayern, um, last night in the Bernabeu, stick it to Real, and okay, if it, had, if it hadn't been for away goals, actually they wouldn't have. Um, I wouldn't, wouldn't have got the extra yeah, they wouldn't have gone to, that's right I had to just <coughs> so I kind of slightly argue against myself but like they're very well matched I don't think home and away matters quite as much anymore it still does it still but it's not like there's statistics Jonathan Wilson who writes for the Guardian has just he bangs this drum the whole time he hates the away goals rule and he has all these stats mm. over numbers of seasons to back it up how home and away is sort of they're kind of converging into like the difference isn't that huge um, but do you think that could be down to the away goals like I think if, if there's no away goals and the away team is going to sit back. They, but they do anyway. <clears throat> like, the away teams don't bomb trying to score three and four away goals. They, oh, no, no. They, they sit and try and score one. How much di- how much different is that going to be if you get rid of the away goal? I suppose, like, to advocate for getting rid of it, like, it makes a second leg more exciting. Like, you're not going to say, right, we'll coast to a result in the first leg and then just hammer out like you know you have to play two full matches like so the better team is going to go through over two legs instead of a jammy team like if Barcelona had a scored them six if Barcelona had a won six nil the first time people wouldn't have watched that uh, second leg you know what I mean because they just was like Barcelona have six away goals no one's turning that over instead of okay PSG scored for what can Barcelona do and that match nearly was ruined by PSG's away goal because if Barcelona, if PSG had got a second, Barcelona would have just, <coughs> all right, we're out now. They would have had to score seven or eight or something instead of the six, which is still amazing, to be fair. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's a really good example of it, is there's that PSG away goal where Barcelona put together this incredible performance and it gets ruined because PSG were just not shit enough to manage one goal. Yeah. Like, that shouldn't negate getting your arse absolutely handed to you. Like, there's no other major examples from this year that I can think of wasn't it Dortmund a few years ago against who were the team you used to love Malaga Malaga it was and uh, I think they scored a late away goal in the first leg to be 2-1 down and then didn't they score two crazy late goals in Dortmund to go through then yeah and it's just like they weren't the better team over two legs at all that's football though Graham at the end of the day and football at the end of the day. It's football at the end of the day. Uh, speaking of end of the week, FA Cup finals are coming up. Semis. <laughs> semis. <laughs> yeah. Men's See, and women's. This is my point. This is my point. The FA Cup semi-finals are coming up and they're in Wembley. And I think we talked about this last year, but I can't remember, so I'm bringing it up again because I'm still sort of annoyed about it. Nobody else can remember. Um, I do not like the idea of the FA Cup semi-finals being played in Wembley. But Graham, what about your big day out in Wembley with all your United fan friends? No. 
Well, yeah, United aren't there. No, but I, I think the big day out should be just for the final. Like people are always giving out, oh, the magic of the FA Cup is gone, all that crack. The magic of a lot of cup competitions is gone. But I think if you got rid of the semi-finals in Wembley, like, put them back in Villa Park, put them in Old Trafford, even have like a super semi-final weekend or some shit like that up in Manchester, where you have one final in the Etihad, one final in Old Trafford, like so you can set like a festival of football sort of thing up. I think it'd give it more of an atmosphere instead of. Like the award shouldn't be reward shouldn't be oh you get to the semi final you get to play in the big stadium, it should be that should be the stadium allocated for it, the final the big one do you know what I mean? But then you're but then you're asking the likes of the Chelsea and Tottenham fans to go all the way up to Manchester for a semi final. Now that's just tough shit though I think yeah, that's just look that's, that's, that's just looking like, at the draw. Yeah, yeah no but like I understand if it was a like you have to I, I th- when I think with those ones there you go in neutral venue you split the difference that's what I'm saying yeah Neut- not, not, I'm not giving Manchester as a definitive example no yeah no I know no. but like you say for like you say uh, Chelsea Tottenham you stick it in maybe you just leave it in Wembley or you stick it in the Emirates or somewhere else in yeah. London but like if you like you, ha- you have to split the difference you can't give one team a, a home match or ask like was it a couple of years ago when it was United and City in the semi-final and, and they, they played it on and they had, 5 o'clock and on they a had, Saturday yeah and they had to go down to Wembley to play it. like asking both sets of fans to go down on like just, it's just, just the amount of travelling those fans do in general and then asking them to do another day all the way down to London when they can just either do a flip of a coin and play it in Old Trafford or the Etihad or just split the crowd into it Um, I don't <laughs> it's probably a bad thing to say in a conversation but I don't know how much I care about it about where it is necessarily, um, I can see some of the arguments for it, and I can definitely see your points about just having it the way they used to have it, Villa Park. If it's if it makes sense geographically or whatever. Yeah. But was that course. the way it was in the old Wembley as well? Or? I don't think no, so. It was, it was. They brought this in like four years ago, I think, when Eons took over the sponsorship of the FA Cup. I think. At the end of the day, it's driven by cash. Like everything oh, is driven oh, by cash. It's driven by like, cash. You mightn't get well. Well, you probably get the full compliments for both of these sides, would you? Not far off. Oh yeah, both of these finals are yeah. semi-finals. Um, we sold out easily. So I suppose that like you can't argue with the bottom line of it for the FA, the milk of frogs worked, and it's actually worked out quite well this year because there are two cracking semi-finals. Yeah. I think that's the best thing about it is, well, especially Chelsea and Tottenham both go head to head for a Premier League title, and they're meeting in sort of like an inconsequential but actually quite consequential game. I think that's really interesting. I think one positive for is like a cup tend to give kind of smaller teams a chance at the big day out. I think if a smaller team does reach the semi final, then it is nice for them to get a, a chance to play in Wembley. You kind of see it in Ireland teams like getting a big day out in Croker. And for, I know, I'm not going to lie, I don't even know I was in the semi final this weekend, lads. But if a year that's a smaller team does get there, it's nice that their fans get the big day out. They know where they're going beforehand as well. It's about the, the playoff final, kind of, it's a big event. It's in Wembley. It might be a half full Wembley, but you're still getting your big your big day on Wembley. I think getting to the FA Cup is a pretty good achievement for a lot of English teams when there's over 100 teams or hundreds of teams start off at the very beginning. That's what I'm saying though. It should be, like you look at the amount of modern stadiums there is in like there's, Old Trafford is 75,000. Anfield is going to be 60,000 I think when it's finished. Uh, Chelsea are going to have the new stadium. St. James is up in Newcastle, big stadiums. That's what I'm saying. Like have, it in, have the semis in the big stadiums but just have the final in the biggest stadium. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, but it's a very, it's a very, very big ask for a smaller club to get to a final. I know a semi-final is tough to get to as well, but I just feel there's more of a chance of them getting. Well, look, how long ago was it? Uh, Portsmouth and Cardiff. Two thousand and eight. Yeah. yeah. So, Jesus. This feels very quick on the Google there. 
and um, that's just the the magic of editing, yeah. But um, the magic of my brain. And then who was it? Wigan a few years ago. They weren't necessarily a big team. They were a Premier League team. They weren't selling out Premier League, but they got their. Who did they beat in the semis? Wigan, can't remember, but they bet City in the final and I won 125 quid off it, so that was great. I can't remember if Wigan bet, um, for some reason Millwall are in my head, but I can't be certain about that. I thought it was Arsenal. Arsenal was the other team in my head. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't so, know. Alright, here we go. we're going to go with it was either Millwall or Arsenal, yeah. and that's an absolute fact, you can take it as that. I think maybe part of the idea was that they're trying to, like the FA Cup has been dying on its arse for a long time now, like yeah. it's very much a second thought, it is on a level pegging with the League Cup pretty much. It's not far off at all. It's not far off. Like it really is far off. It's still a bit ahead of it. Um, but like t- teams kind of treat them like absolutely. It's if they're, if you're in Europe, it's um, Premier League, European competition, domestic competition, domestic cup competitions. So I think part of the reason is to add a little bit of extra gravitas to it. I know you could nearly work against yourself by making the final seem less attractive, but if you're trying to build it up into a bigger deal sooner rather than just having one standalone. But it went back to what you said earlier. It's about the money. Like, there's no money for teams winning. Not no money, but there's not... The, the likes of, like I say, uh, an Everton, uh, a Leicester, they're going to get more money for finishing higher in the league than they are going to get for winning the FA Cup. Okay, the FA Cup will give them their spot in Europe, but that could cripple you as a team if you don't have a squad big enough to to play in Europe. How did we can get on in Europe a few years ago? Don't know, but I don't. I don't think they did great. No, they're in the championship at the time. In yeah. fairness, dream team esque. <laughs> Is that dream team starting to get relegated? Dream team. I, I'm pretty sure dream team won the FA Cup and then got relegated for match fixing. So they were in uh, the UEFA Cup the next year, no, while in uh, the championship, or might have even still been Division One. While dream team was happening, I never watched it, but I know they played balls. Was it balls? Shells. 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 It was. Yeah. They actually played. I think they played the Keith Duffy All Stars in a real match. And the, key, the Keith Duffy All-Stars wore Shell's jersey, so they actually used real match footage. So it's one of the few matches that they actually used real match footage of. That is an, that is an excellent pop fact. I think what they used to do was they used Chelsea and just like colour yeah. it yeah, so yeah. it looked purple or something they, they, like that. They used a lot of Liverpool for um, their away kit because it was an orange away kit. They oranged it up or Charlton was another big one. I never watched it, but it ran for like nine years. Or the last episode, people. Spoiler alert for loved Spoiler it. alert for anyone who was going to sit down to watch it. But the last episode ended with the club needing a result on the final day of the season to win the Premier League, and a crazed ex-manager and player having set a blaze in the in the heart of the stadium, which was spreading and going to blow up the stadium. So we don't know if they won the league or if the stadium blew up or both. So you're telling me George R R Martin and the writers of Game of Thrones were inspired last season. By Dream Team. Absolutely, that's what I'm saying. They set a fire in a stadium. That's where I'm going with this. That's not really spoiler heavy, but no, like no, it, I, I, I escaped. Yeah. It. I realized where I was going. You you won't you won't know it until you see the episode in question. There, like you you won't spoil that until you actually see it. Does that makes sense. I'm trying to think. What are the, this is just completely off topic. I wasn't even going to talk about this, but I'm trying to think. What are the best sports TV shows? Friday Night Lights is just up there. That's say, just class. But uh, except for the second season, because that was absolutely ruined by the writer strike. Was it the second season? Uh, second, yeah. or third, second, I think. But. Because it just it ends, and you come back to the third, and your man has his knee gammied up, and it's just absolutely no explanation why, and it's just told by flashbacks. Um, what else is good? Sports rise. I can't think of many other. There's not much. Renford rejects. Oh, Renford rejects is <laughs> fantastic. What was the other school called? What was the, the school? 
The... Ah, oh, it's like the bad thing. The Razors, no? Yeah, they were. Something. Yeah. Renford Ray. The Elvis fan. I used to love this episode where they're playing like a Renford Wednesday and just the joke was always we're playing Wednesday on Thursday. There's <laughs> <laughs> a team called Renford Thursday playing Thursday on Friday, Wednesday on Thursday. And this is just music to my 12-year-old ears, every age we were when that came out. My favourite episode was when um, Eddie had uh, tickets to Liverpool versus Manchester United and all the team were um, like arsing them to get the tickets. And eventually it turned out that they were uh, tickets to Liverpool versus Manchester United reserves. Excellent. Oh, man. What a swerve. Um, right. We're in the middle of watching Barcelona here at the moment, but we're changing the sport to rugby. And at 12 o'clock today, the Lions team was announced. And at about 10 past 12, my interest in the Lions ended for the year. Because I think the squad announcement is the most interesting part of it. And I have absolutely no interest in watching the matches. What are your thoughts on it? I think I'll let John take the floor on this first. He, John wrote a piece uh, that's up on site at the middle on hurlers on the ditch.ie and let him take the floor from here. Uh, I suppose Graham's in the same boat with a lot of people there. Like a big, a lot of the hype around the lines is a squad announcement. I have it in front of me here now. I'll just have a quick look. Uh, I suppose happy enough. Eleven Irish players is a good return for us. I think we have seven forwards and no Heaslip. So I'd say Heaslip's a bit disappointed now that we can pick basically everyone in the pack apart from him. I was kind of surprised they didn't get in, but then again, he didn't have a great six nation. He can o- he can only play eight, and believe it or yeah, believe it or not, was going to start. Yeah. I'd imagine eight. So you'd rather bring someone like Stander who can play a few positions than seven. He can play eight as well, even so. I think maybe that's why he slipped didn't get in. That's what it seemed to be a lot of boys who are um, what's the word? Utility about? players. Versatile. That's the one. Well done, Dooley. Like Payne got in, and he's going to play centre. Well, if he plays, he'll play centre or fullback. Like Owen Farrell's there, he's gonna play centre. He's gonna play out half. There's a lot of even who else? Peter O'Mahony got in. He could do a job. Ian Henderson can play uh, in second row on the back row as well. Yeah. So that seems to be the team of it, anyways. The expendables or not the expendables? expendables. <laughs> Instead <laughs> of the, the big names, if sort of at the minute. So John, your piece is about. What is the importance of the Lions these days, really? Yeah, I just the whole idea of the Lions is a bit strange when you think of professional rugby and all the patterns, all the set plays you have. Uh, like the Lions, fair enough, 50, 60 years ago, when rugby was an amateur game, it was made a great sense to put together the best players in the world. They're probably as prepared as anything were back then. A couple of weeks' training would have done them. But nowadays, you see, like Ireland kind of talking four year World Cup cycles. You have club teams playing together for the full year, working for, for years on partnerships. You kind of see players come through academies. Players build up the, over years, they build up these combinations. And then the Lions kind of expects all this to be done in a few weeks. Uh, obviously for the players, like, it does mean a lot to the players. I had a quote in the article there from uh, Tom Corse saying his, his Everest basically was getting picked for the Lions when all he did was go on holidays to the same country they were in and kind of, <laughs> he was lucky at a call off. But it still, it means a huge amount to the players. I'm just, I'm not 100% sure why. Maybe it's the challenge that they're so unprepared and they're so against the odds. Like, I think this year, it's going to be very tough to see them get any uh, wins against New Zealand. New Zealand are odds on to win all three tests. Yeah. They're, uh, there was the odds there, like Paddy Power taking odds on, I think they played 10 matches in the space and for the Lions to win like anything above six you're getting it up into like 80 
90 to 1. Win all 10 was like 250 ah, to 1. They're, they're playing... Not, they, they never win all 10. They're playing some really, really good Super Rugby teams. Yeah. They're going to take a beating in a few of those warm-up games that are designed to like work on uh, shape and systems. But I think they're used to actually work to beat down the lines before they even get to the first test. <laughs> That's true. That yeah. Like, you look at that, what did he pick, 41 players or something 41, like that? 41, it's a big one, yeah. And, like, there's no way that's the 41 that goes. Like, there's going to be lads called up. Like, you look at the likes of Zebo Hartley, they're probably going to get in. Like, Actually, players are going to get Wales in. Wales are playing a game in New Zealand, so it's fairly handy for those lads to be kind of <laughs> sprung in at the last <laughs> oh, minute. Jesus. Like, they're touring the Pacific Islands, but they've won match in New Zealand itself. So, like, there's going to be Welsh lads in that squad. But I wonder, like, what's the sort of view of it? I'd say it's... I'd say for like the likes of New Zealand, South Africa, Australia, I'd say it's more important for them because they're looking at like these lads think they can come down here and take on our lads sort of thing. Like let's send them packing. But maybe we look at it as, oh, the lads are going on holiday. Like let's see what they can do. Like I'd say it's like for them, it's national pride. For us, it's, oh, let's see if we can string a team together. Sean Fitzpatrick was on uh, Sky Sports News today just before the team announcement. He was actually saying that and it's, it is fascinating me because New Zealand are supposed to be mad. It's supposed to be mad rugby country. And they don't seem to pay attention to any rugby because he said that New Zealanders don't really follow the Lions like the squad announcement. And they'll pay attention when the New Zealanders are actually playing. But that they don't really pay it any heed. It doesn't matter to them. And that just seems to be the way with everything to do with New Zealand. They don't follow the Six Nations. They don't pay any attention to um, like England, Ireland or France outside of literally when they rock up to play them. Yeah. Which is, and it's, apparently it's the same with the Lions. Sean Fitzpatrick said most New Zealanders won't know about this until uh, pretty much the 24th of June what when does, the first test is. What does the um, the Lions test for them for New Zealand anyway, does it have any bearing on their ranking? don't think so. I don't it's think it can. It's considered a non-ranked match. That's, that's probably why. They say yeah. if we went out the, what is it now, the Rugby Championship was called now, they kind of go, there's our number one seed sort of for, for the Rugby World Cup and that's all their, that's all their focus on every single year is being in the number one seed when it comes around to World Cup year and that's all they really kind of care about but I think it's the same for fans as well like uh, myself and Dara we watched the uh, was it 2009 Living with the Lions documentary over in South Africa and they're playing in front of not even half full stadiums like fair enough it's kind of the midweek team or it's the week before a test it's on a full strength team but you think if your local side is playing against this kind of star studded European 15 you get a full house I think one thing about the way Graham was saying how the other teams view it you often hear in these documentaries I watched a couple at the weekend he's living with the Lions things and it's the most you'll ever hear people are talking about you have to earn the opposition's respect like they go down there and kind of they seem like the media's against them the locals are against them and more often than not they're getting bullied on the field as well like you look at some of the really bad physical uh, beatings players have taken like you have the, the 99 call back was that Willie Anderson who instigated that one Phil? 97? no that was way before this is the 80s I think it was <coughs> Oh, sorry, I thought, you said, oh, I thought you meant no, 99. No, yeah, it was. Kind of one in, all in kind of thing. I looked this up for the article as well. Then you had uh, you had Ron O'Gara getting his head punched off him a couple of, about 10, 15 years ago in New- 2001, maybe? Not the last time in New Zealand. Yeah. So 12 years ago. 12 years ago then, yeah. Uh, Fitzgerald got gouged. O'Driscoll. O'Driscoll got te- absolutely destroyed. Like, the players really seem to enjoy like physically pummeling and bullying the Lions. And it's something that you don't really associate with rugby. You don't associate this kind of, maybe not premeditated attack, but definitely players are willing to go over the line and physically damage their opponents, which is a strange one for maybe them. Maybe it's because they're viewed as an all-star team and the lads are saying, 
back in your box. I think that's the thing to do. It, yeah, yeah, hundred percent. Like the Lions kind of see this jersey as kind of a mythical thing almost. Yeah, and they're kind of saying, yeah, come into our backyard. We're gonna teach you a lesson here. Like there is a weird emphasis put on someone's career. Like you could have an absolutely brilliant rugby career for Ireland, England, Scotland, Wales, and just for in the off chance that you're injured, say for say you have like a five or six year career, and the off chance that you're injured for the one Lions or two line stars that you might see like if you don't get that line star you're sort of pushed to the back and you're like like Keith Earls has a Lions cap and he'll be way up in Ireland rankings for years for that but as we like to call him Keneally's best mate because Keneally just does not rate his rugby now I know Keneally he's not the be all and end all of rugby thing but it just it seems <laughs> that once you get that Lions jersey you're standing in this international scene like this four nation scene just gets boosted exponentially like just because of this one red jersey, instead of no, like no matter how many caps you have for country, I find it really strange that the resonance um, remains. Like I was, something piqued my interest on Twitter this morning. There was a hashtag being used, British Lions, and that piqued my interest. So I was like, that's you know strange because you know not the name of the actual team. Yeah. So I went in and had a look, and it's just a string of English and Welsh rugby fans. Tweeting about how they want this English player and this Welsh player to get picked. Can't wait for the British Lions. So excited to go to New Zealand. <clears throat> and I think... Now, don't get me wrong. I'm going to watch the games. And I'm going to be excited to watch the games. But the whole build-up around it and the circus around it kind of wears thin with me. And I find it weird that there's such resonance attached to the jersey when, as four nations, we've probably never been as far apart. Yeah. Like, Ireland has nothing in common with... Uh, England and Wales and Scotland actively as a country is trying to leave a union with those two countries let England and Wales off let them be the let them be the, uh, the British Lions and we, can, we can start doing with Italy and France Celtic Lions or something like that Celtic Lions <clears throat> I just I just find I find it weird that there's such a resonance still with this jersey when culturally socially and politically that we've never actually been probably further apart I think I think if it, if it wasn't so built up, it'd be grand. Like if kind of yeah. if in the Sky. summertime you kind of heard, oh, there's a superstar match on. This is great. Like, like I'll def- I'm gonna watch the matches regardless. So yeah. But if you just if just the build up, like th- this whole season has been, oh, here's a Lions audition. The whole six nations, oh, here's a Lions match up here. This back row against that back row. Even the Leinster quarter final, it was oh Sexton versus Cipriani. Has Cipriani got a yeah. chance to get into the Lions? Yeah. Every Six Nations game, there was Lions watch on Facebook. Like yeah. just like yeah. relax, lads. Like that's another thing I don't understand. Like these boys go from hating each other to oh we're best mates in the space of six weeks, and they're then they're expected to just string a relationship together on the field. Like you look at like a lot of the players, like team chemistry is a big thing, and like as you said, it takes a lot of time to build that up. So even like fair enough if you're working well, but like to get to know each other and like study each other and like like for Henshaw to know where Farrell is going to be, and it's going to take a lot more than six weeks. Like so, I don't know why there is still such a big who had and why so many people follow it as well. Like like as in follow it down there. Now I think it's it's mostly the English fans follow it down there, isn't it? I think there'll be a few Irish. Remember no, Hector there yeah. one. There'll be a yeah. few Irish, but like the vast majority are going to be English and Welsh. But I don't I, I don't think people who go down aren't going down for the rugby. No, no. they're going they're, yeah. they're going down for experience. Like you're going to see it's not even just you're going on a just a basically a lads tour for for a month or more than a bit so that's what most of them go for they don't go for the rugby they go for go for the crack but even John as a lifetime fan who has travelled away to see rugby matches like would a Lions tour be something that interests you I would just say ah, ah like if I wanted to go somewhere for 
10 weeks or 12 weeks and see rugby, then definitely the Lions is the ideal place to go. But it's, it's not going to be top of my list at all. Like, people almost build it up as much as the World Cup. Maybe it kind of suits the Irish that we build it up because you don't do great in World Cups normally. I think it's, it's good for fans because it kind of falls between the World Cups as well. Like, in football, you have Euros, World Cup every two years. There's never any kind of off-seasons. Whereas in rugby, you have the Six Nations every year. Maybe you get kind of bored out or you get kind of too used to it. And you have World Cup every four years, which is kind of a long enough gap. So the Lions is kind of almost a stopgap there to keep maybe the casual fan or maybe just the something different instead of just playing against the same teams every spring and every autumn. I wonder is the Irish perspective on it like, oh, let's see which of our players are better than these English players, like which ones get into the squad first. I'd rather do that in an actual game between the two sides. No, no I mean, <laughs> like after the Six Nations, like we just yeah, had like oh, that, yeah. we pissed on their parade at the end of it, like we usually do. Yeah. Yeah. Like, all right, now let's see where coaches rank us as. Well, like, as see who they as John, John said this in his piece, it stopped becoming... I'm going to pick the best 35 or 40 man squad or like the best players it's Gatlin picked players to suit his system yeah. to beat New Zealand like it's not anymore about getting this ragtag bunch of supremely talented players together and seeing what we can work out it's I'm going to methodically pick the players out of these four nations that best suit how I want to play which is why players like Payne got in Ben Teo like yeah, yeah. there was rumours that Jamie Roberts was going to get in and nobody really like rubbish to people are like I can't like that that'll be ridiculous but I can see why Gatlin would want them in like Payne played one Six Nations game in the same position that Ringrose played for and did very well I don't mind it not being totally based in Six Nations um, well, in terms played, of if he hasn't played but, much club rugby either because he's out with his kidney injury for most of the first half of the season yeah like in, in Payne's specific case um, I think it's a weird one and it's just a, a boulder but I think in other cases, people are saying like such and such didn't play well in the Six Nations or he was injured for Six Nations. But like Six Nations is only about a 10-week window or whatever it is less in a season. If you play well for the preceding 18 months and following the Six Nations for your club, I mean, I think it's fair enough. Like O'Mahony didn't get into the squad on um, Six Nations form because he wasn't in the team until the last day. It was his form for months of this season. So I think it's fair. Like some people are kind of throwing um, the toys out of the pram a little bit that uh, like players who had a great Six Nations weren't picked but that's a 10 week window in 4 years well you know, 4 years is a little extreme but 10 week window in 18 months well I will go to the other, no, the other side of the coin there, to kind of explain where, where, where I feel it could be coming from like you say that the New Zealand are basically almost sending to kind of thing to put the, this all star team back in their box like you need big lads to look after themselves because New Zealand play on the we'll go the edge of the rules sometimes the wrong side of the edge of the rules and you need their, your your guys who can basically big, bigger stronger fellas who can kind of look after themselves because you kind of go look what happened to old Driscoll when he got when he got smashed in what the, f- fir- the first 15 minutes of the first game wasn't uh, it I, I don't think that that means you don't take someone oh yeah no but like, you have to like, take your, your special player but you can't go and take the likes of Ringrose or any of the younger players who are like I know I like Lee Lee Halfpenny is whatever size is he five foot uh, ten or something like that he's not a big man but he's about that wide though Uh, (laughs) yeah yeah, that's that's very true (laughs) but like what says that he's any tougher than someone like Simon Zebo who got left at home or like Stuart Hogg is a little slipper fella and there's no way I'd say leave him home because he had a great he's had a great season a great couple of seasons so I think there there has to be a balance like you're always going to have your intimidating players 
and a good mix in the well, squad. What but is it? Warren Gatlin hates the word flair, is it? Doesn't like the flair player. <laughs> so I suppose that's... Yeah, I think Zeebo's just too good a player for Gatlin to have picked him, maybe. <laughs> you look at Sexton and you think, like, maybe could this be a step too far from this summer? Like, he has taken a good few big hits this summer. Or this season, I mean. And you look at the way, like, there's no two ways about it. He was targeted in the Six Nations by a lot of teams. So, so they're, are they going to say, like, right, he's the soft lad on this team. Like, if you take him out early, his head will go. It'll put their game plan up the shitter, basically, from minute one, if they can. And just try and, like, completely stun them straight from the goal by taking Sexton out early. I think targeting the 10 is something that teams always do. Uh, it won't be anything new if New Zealand do it this year. Especially when it's such a pivotal part of Ireland's game, like or, sorry, the Lions' game. You, the Irish Lions. The Irish you. Lions. <laughs> you're playing in the green away strip. Uh, and a green like, uh, circle on the He will be targeted. They, they'll probably openly admit they'll be targeted. But it's nothing extraordinary. Like It won't be a surprise to anyone, including Sexton. He'll know he's going to be picked out for marginal late hits. Like we saw it in the test in Dublin after we beat them in Chicago. Like the hits were they were fully late there. There was no kind of two ways about it. That was a, there were some dirty blows there from the All Blacks. Uh Dooley said they play on the margin. Like a lot of time they overstep that margin as well and the ref just doesn't seem to be too bothered because they're this kind of deity of pure rugby. What's the story with refs for the Lions actually? Are they allowed to Use like Nigel Owens, Stuart Barnes, that sort of track, or they have to use, no, they Roman, use, Poit, use Roman Poit, Australian refs. Roman Poit, Australian and South African refs. Craig Joubert. Craig Joubert. There you go. I think they will, New Zealand will always look to lay down a physical marker, but I think, like John was saying about the Dublin test in November, I think we'll only actually see the real nastiness come out if the Lions put it up to them. Mm. I think New Zealand only really extend themselves. Um, both in terms of how they play and in terms of how they target people if they are challenged. So I think if they blow the lines away, there's no need for them to um, there'll be no need for them to overstep the mark to a huge degree in the physicality. But if the Lions put have a good game in the first test or even manage to win it, I think New Zealand will absolutely blow them away. And just how do you think it'll go? Three 0 New Zealand. Agreed. Yeah, three 0 New Zealand as well. Yeah, I think. Any other way about like. Okay, fine. I'll change it up. We might win the last one. Oh, we see. I don't know if I'd ever call it the Lions. We. That's just. Oh, like, Jesus. That's a dip. That's that's one for another day. Yeah. Um, this is British and Irish like, Lions, Philip. I don't even know if like, I probably won't get up to watch them. What like what what time do they start at a news? Half half eight in the morning Irish time. Oh, maybe I will get up to watch them. <laughs> Um, like they are good to watch. Like, the idea of watching a superstar team play the best team in the world. It's it's grand. It's a good idea, but, but they're so not playing us. Oh, thanks. <laughs> Get in. But like the same way that bar- barbarians is a good idea, where you put a lot of flair players That's together. That's all I'm thinking as well. Like, why is the barbarians not as big a deal? Like, why mm. do they got a big following? Like, why do they play in Twickenham in front of like twelve thousand people in their hands? Like the whole idea of a tour in rugby is like it's a nostalgia act, really. Like it's from when so I'm saying like fifteen, six years ago, and it took the lads as long nearly to get down to New Zealand as they were actually over there. And they, like, it, it was a real bonding time for a group of lads who were away for a legitimately long amount of time. But now all these lads know each other because they're playing each other. Like, the Irish players didn't play the English players except in the Six Nations, or, well, Five Nations as it was then. Whereas now they play them in Champions Cup every year. They're playing the Scottish and Welsh lads week in, week out in Pro 12. Like, the rugby world has shrunk yeah, um, in, since the professional era. And so... It makes it less of an occasion. 
I think that w- well, that's what it boils down to. I think it was a bigger occasion that we he- that people heard a lot less about fifty years ago. And it's because every four years it was a new batch of players like that these lads had never heard of. But like everybody's heard of these lads now. They know what they're able to do. It's maybe it's like it's not as interesting. Like oh, can they come down and beat our boys? You know what I mean? But sure, I was gonna say sure. Back in the when I was what seven eight, they used to um up in Barnhall, they used to do a, a breakfast in the morning. Like you go in, you pay what maybe maybe eight euro or something like that. You go in, get your fry, and watch the match. Don't do it anymore. So it's obviously lost something, or people have lost some sort of interest in it, where it's it's not important or it's just another game to them I suppose myself and Graham were actually over in the United States for the, the last tour I'm not sure if Graham actually went to it but there was a Didn't. a local cafe close to where we were living in Ocean City in Maryland and it was uh, the son of the Barry's Tea Empire was working there not me no, not Graham Barry it was a different Barry from Cork so he kind of convinced the cafe owner to open up early serve a big fry up and big pots of Barry's Tea and we could all watch the Lions and that, that's my story basically it was a nice <laughs> it was a nice touch just thought I'd get out there but um, like I, I will watch it. I think we'll all watch it. If you're sports fans, you're going to watch it. But it's just the hype surrounding it and the kind of the idea of it as a be-all and end-all of a player's career or of this two-year cycle. And now it's going to build to the World Cup, but then the next two years after that, again, it'll be, oh, now it's the Lions tour coming up. Like, it's nowhere near a World Cup. I'd much rather see Ireland do half-decent in the World Cup than see the Lions trounce New Zealand 3-0. Yeah, like, you look at every single Six Nations match in the pre-coverage, it was like, who's your Lions team so far and stuff like that, like, I think that's like sort of the Sky Air, like Red Monday, shit like that. Like sure. They just overhype stuff yeah. to death and people lose all interest in it because they're just overexposed to it. Yeah. Yeah. There was a the countdown sky. for the Lions like 127 days ago or something like that. And it's just like, no one cares yet. Start this countdown when the squad is announced, maybe. Talk about it once a week. So, you know, that sort of thing. I think a lot of hype is because the Lions is kind of like a media marketing machine yeah. almost. 100%. Like they haven't got the fan base that a Munster or a Leinster or one of the English clubs would have, they kind of have to create this buzz themselves. Like even, like, I remember we, we saw them out in Carton House the last time and we were told to, we had our, jer- our uh, jackets kind of draped over the advertising hoarding. We were told to take it off that because it was covering the, whatever it was, HSBC sign. They, it was covering he, like the top of the H yeah, on HSBC. Like any kind of footage has to show that completely unobstructed. Like I heard it uh, in the papers saying that I think it was Mullingar maybe they host like a Lions dinner where former Lions come and you pay a 50 euro have a meal and some speeches and now the Lions are going after them now saying no Lions is a protected name only we can call our official Lions dinner is the Lions dinner like uh, like you see the DVDs that come out the one in was it 99 97 97 97 was pretty good and it's obviously very popular still on YouTube you can watch it now Uh, but since then they're just they're just trying to sell these DVDs of behind-the-scenes footage to make a few quid, and there's, you learn very little from it. You kind of get outtakes from players having a laugh and a joke, which is grand, but 15 euros worth, it's not it's not worth that at all. That's what the last one, they hyped it up. Remember with the Zebo phone call, he had to ring Deck and Kidney, wasn't it? Rob Penny. Rob Penny, that. saying he wanted to be captain next year. And that was the hype thing for it, and it was just, they cut out right when he like his phone rang out. And he was like, oh, thank God. But then his phone rang back and it was Penny ringing him back. And then, like, I think it was Keneally had that. And he says, like, that's the most entertaining part of the DVD. The rest mm-hmm. of it is just all crap sound bites, basically, what they're expected to say. Like, oh, it was a bit difficult at first. Well, once we got to know each other sort of thing. Like, 
back in 97, like they were literally in the team meetings, they were in the dressing rooms. You could hear fellas getting sick before the game. Like yeah. It wasn't like it was kind of, oh, we'll do our own stuff and then we'll let the cameras in for the end and we'll all kind of, we'll hold hands and we'll sing Kumbaya. Like, you're really getting the kind of blood and <laughs> guts version of it, yeah. <laughs> I think Sky have a lot to answer for in this as well. Like, it's perfect for them. Like, like you were saying, Graham, about Red Monday and how oh, they... Oh, like, there's uh, going to be a Sky Sports Lions. Absolutely. And they're going to show old matches, all them things John is showing. Endless hours of coverage, and it's just gonna be completely overexposed. It's like transfer deadline day. It means nothing anymore. Yeah. It's like who is it? BT Sports show like FA Cup final coverage from eight o'clock in the morning. From the second they arrive in the stadium, they start showing coverage. Give the fans what they want, Graham. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Longer FA Cup final coverage, please. Yeah. I want it from the night before. But that's what, yeah. Like there's gonna be a Sky Sports Lions. There's gonna be an hour special on Sky Sports News every night at five o'clock. It's gonna be everywhere. And it's just going to be complete overexposure and people are going to be like, do you know what, I don't think I care about this at the minute. And they'll watch. The tri- like, chances of people getting up early to watch the smaller test, like I think it's, they played two or three, isn't it? And are they playing any foreign ones? Like, remember the way they played someone in Japan the last no, time? No, they played in Hong Kong the last time. I think Hong there was Kong. another sponsorship deal. They said it because there's Hong Kong Sevens yeah. sponsored by HSBC as well. And they said they said they play there. But at this time, yes. no, I think they're all the games, oh, yeah, I think, are in New Zealand. So if there's 10 games, three tests to be seven. Yeah, it is. Sky, Sky we're going around the map. Today, the first game is the 3rd of June, and then the first test is until the 24th. Three weeks later. Plus one a week. That's a, that's a standard way yeah, it is. Though, yeah. One a week. Get your blood in, get you acclimatised. But then you're not going to play your full strength. You'd be playing, you'd be playing bits oh, and pieces of no, it. No, like, after the first couple of games, you kind of see a, the pattern emerge of, these are going to be a test, lads. You'll arrest them. The dirt trackers, as they're known. The dirt trackers. Is that what they're called? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, yeah, I just... It could be on its way out. I doubt it. Oh, no. oh yeah. No. Too much money to be made. But I think nationally, it's losing a lot of interest. But it's still a big deal for the players. I suppose the players is the big thing. Yeah, like... Um, Once the players are happy, we're all happy. I heard Shane Horgan and um, Gordon Darcy on a rival podcaster uh, today, and they were... Like they were um, very effusive in their praise of praise of it. They loved like they loved their tours. They thought it was great. So I suppose once the appetite is there from the players, and once there's them dollar dollar bills to be made, it won't be going anywhere soon. Free holiday, isn't it? right? I suppose you're working pretty hard. Yeah, all you have to do is go and get your head slapped off. You buy a New Zealander. Fine. Um, any final points, John? That you want to back up with your article or just tell people to go read yeah, it? Yeah, sure. Go read the article. You'll find it on our website, hurlersontheditch.ie. Uh, sure while you're on your computer you may as well follow us on twitter as well at h on the ditch i think we're on snapchat there that's probably going to be h on the ditch as well i think it's h on the ditch, I think h on the ditch. ditch. we're on instagram heard us on the ditch on instagram uh, the article is not on instagram or snapchat you have to read that in long form there are some photos though for you slow readers <laughs> hopefully i'll keep you engaged actually the photos i took myself so i go easy on them in your comments which i'm sure you'll leave John might do an Instagram story of him reading out the article if there's a demand for it, maybe. An audio book. Yeah. <laughs> right, uh, we're going to go watch the second half of this match. That's it for next week. For the next week? Yeah, because we're, we're not doing it next week. No, uh, we will be back next week. Um, thanks, John. Thanks, Phil. Thanks, Lily. Thanks, Graham. Bye. Cheers, lads. Bye-bye.